Welcome. This is a continuation of the previous message. So when God says you are holy or you are set apart, in the mind of God, what that means is that you are someone different and distinct. That's what Paul is talking about when he says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Being set apart is to make something different and distinct. Now, not only is that the, the way God says it, now this is the real key. It is a declaration made by God. Independent of your performance or behavior. Let us sink in. Because some of us are trying to be holy by wearing a dress, by wearing a long dress, a short dress. Uh, don't, don't use lipstick. Wear a hat, wear a beret. We, we, we're trying to do everything we can to conform with man's definition of holiness. And God is saying it has absolutely nothing to do with whether I am making you holy by declaration. My goodness. You know in those days of military takeover, when the military takes over, how do they do? By decrees. You don't go to vote and say, oh, do we want this? They just issue, you just hear, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> By special military decree. Effective immediately. That's it. No one dare challenge that decree. Whether you like it or not, they've issued it, it is so. So when God says you are holy, or you're set apart. It has nothing to do with something you've done or how you've appeased God. And God, not because of your appeasement. Ah, yeah, I told you, I'll make you holy. No! It's a declaration is made because it, it, it's after something. So, it means that God, in setting us apart, has set me and you apart for a special purpose in this world. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to indwell you to make sure, to enable you carry it out. Now, let me, let me, let, let me give you an illustration of being set apart that, that should help us. Sister Yetunde here is wearing a dress. Beautiful dress. My wife is wearing a dress. Beautiful dress. My sister here is wearing a dress. Beautiful dress. My young lady here is wearing a dress. Beautiful dress. All our dresses. A dress, a dress, a dress, a dress. Right? But being set apart is like having a dress. Let me even define it. A wedding dress. That's not just a dress, a dress, a dress, or a dress. A wedding dress. What is it set It's set apart for what? A wedding. Focused, specific, dignifying, glorifying, and the bride lives for that day when she puts on that dress. Why? Until she wears it, that dress is what? Set apart. And once she wears that dress and marches down the aisle 
and the ring is placed in her hand, for the most part, the dress is retired. Why? Because that was a special dress set apart for a glorious, dignifying purpose and nothing else. Now, think of yourself like that. God said, I've set you apart. Like that wedding dress. That is not common. That is dignifying. That's why special purpose. And you see, when, when you understand that and you meditate on that and you, and you get up in the morning, ah, I'm set apart today. Think of how that bride feels on that wedding day. How when she walks into the sanctuary, all heads turn. Oh my God. When the bride walks into that sanctuary, the musicians start, dun, 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 dun. There is, there's a special song that welcomes her presence. All heads are turned and all focus is on who? The bride. So God says, think of yourself like that. I've placed you in the world. Set you apart. So as you go to class and you step in the classroom, because you are so dignified, because you are so glorified, because I've put honor on you, I've beautified you with my holiness, I've beautified you with all that I am, everybody in your class, they are turning at you. They are looking at you and therefore, when they look at you, give a message. A message that's befitting of the glory of place on you. It changes everything. It changes everything. So he said, well, pastor, I'm not the bride. Yeah, 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 I get it. You may not be a bride. But, 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 but let, let me give you another example of that. Because the truth is, because you're set apart, there is a measure of Christ that lives in you. God placed it there. And so Paul tells the Corinthians, he said, everywhere you go, diffuse forth the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. You're a diffuser. When you step in on, the, on your job, you step in in the classroom, wherever you find yourself, let that fragrance come out of you. Have you ever entered an elevator where somebody in the elevator did not use a, a deodorant? <laughs> as soon as the door opens and you step in, oh, you take a sniff. You say, oh, <laughs> you say, I'll, go, I'll wait for the next one. <laughs> so, but God says he wants us to be the opposite. When they open the elevator and they come in, ah, what an aroma. Oh, good gracious alive. What are you wearing? Instead of telling them, <laughs> that's it. Instead of telling them I'm wearing Gucci, Calvin Klein, Tommy Hilfiger, Jesus. Jesus. The fragrance you smell is Jesus. Jesus. But you see, if you don't understand what God has done in you, you take those things for granted. You're a special person. That's what Peter says. You're a special, he said, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy, again, that word holy, holy, which means to be set apart. You are a set apart nation. Think of yourself being set apart. 
It does not matter what's happening to everybody else. Don't let what's happening to them define you. You define it. You define it. My case is different. Not only say it, know it. No matter what's happening, my case is it. Why is it different? Jesus. Jesus. It's a change. So to be set apart means God has done something different with you, something distinctive you, distinct in you, something glorious in you, and he wants that thing to be manifest to the world. But if you don't know it, if you don't believe and receive it, it will not happen. It's not automatic. So you have to carry yourself on the basis of what you know. And that's why it's important for you to know this message. So when Paul is telling those guys, you are holy, you are a saint, he's saying to them, you are set apart. Now go into your world and make a change. Go into your world and infect it. Number three thing I want you to know. Let's move along. You need to know why identity matters. Ah. You need to know why identity You know what? Why is this important? Why? See, the worth or value of everything is intricately linked to its identity. The worth and value of everything is intricately linked to its identity. I, um, my wife and I went to a conference in July in the United States. My friend who worked with the ministry who was holding the conference sent me a text. He said, Bank, he said, you need to get there early. He said, we don't know where all these people are coming from. He said, the place is just crowded. You, you need to get there early so you can park next to the building. Okay, so my brother was driving us. We got there. The place was, it was, it was just a melee. The place was cars everywhere. Wow. I'm saying to myself, how in the heck are we going to get next to that building? <laughs> Policemen directing traffic. Like, you know, bam, 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 bam. So finally, we got up close to the police. My brother was driving, so I told him to roll down the window, and I leaned out and said to the policeman, I need to go in through this special entrance. The policeman looked at me, really? Who are you? <laughs> and, and I told him who I was. So he got on the radio, called somebody, I don't know who you called, and they opened the door, and they opened the gate, and said, okay, now, you can, you can go. I said, thank God. So, so and I told my brother, I said, man, I told my brother and my wife, I said, it's very important to carry a good name and a good reputation. I said, what just happened would not happen otherwise. This is a big ministry, national ministry, Crefordella Ministries, I can tell you. That's where this happened. So my brother said, well, yeah, that's true. He said, but there's more to it than that. I said, really? He said, if you drove a... Now, please be forgive me. I don't need, mean to be degradatory here. He said, but if you are driving a VW B2, the man will not talk to you. He would <laughs> He said, having a good name is one thing. But if you have a good name and you are in a Volkswagen B2, you still, you still, they'll still send you to the general population. And I said to him, I said, no, I never thought about that. But what I'm trying to say is, the worth or value of a thing is intricately linked to the value of that thing. Okay, so my daughter finished high school. I was so proud of her. 
I thought of as a good father was doing a great thing back then, just a, a few years ago. I went and bought her a Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> Brand new. I said, ah, yeah, praise God. Somebody came to my office last week. Last, this last week. And was telling me uh, she just ordered a car, you know, a Rolls Royce. I said, wow, Rolls Royce. Now, because I don't know too many people that own a Rolls Royce, so this person was talking to me. So I took the time to ask questions. How much do, this, do those things cost? <laughs> she told me half a million dollars. I said, what? $500,000? She said, yes. And how it took them six months to build it and da 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 Wow. Now, why am I telling you this story? My daughter had a VW Beetle. This lady had what? A Rolls Royce. And I was asking her, I said, when you drive this thing on the, I said, do you drive it? She said, well, every, every now and then. I said, what happens when you drive it? And she kept, started telling me that when they get a red light, and this is a true story, it just happened last week, that when they get a red light, cars will roll down their windows and honk at her. <laughs> 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 the matter, the truth is, nobody ever rolled the window down to greet my daughter in the works at the middle. <laughs> nobody. What am I driving at? When people saw a Rolls Royce on the road, they have an idea of the value. The name and the value commanded certain respect that the VWB did not. So why am I telling you this? Identity matters because God's DNA is in you. You are more precious than a Rolls Royce. Because the God of the universe has packaged himself and lives on the inside of you. And when you recognize that, it gives you bragging rights. My daddy owns the universe. My daddy hung every moon, every star in place. Hallelujah. But because many of us are not aware of this and we are not even conscious of this fact, the enemy just bans us all over the place. Case in point, the devil at the Garden of Eden used a misunderstanding of the true identity to his advantage. The Bible tells us very clearly in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 that God created man and woman in his own image and likeness. In Genesis 3, Satan came to, uh, to Eve and said, if you eat of this tree, you will be like God. Really? Trying to trick her to perform to be like God. You eat of this tree, you will be like God. The truth is, she was already like God. But because she does not, she has not taken this message you are taking tonight. <laughs> the enemy is not trying to get her into works to be what she already was. For lack of understanding. Folks, I'm telling you, and I'm not saying this to brag, I'm living more what you call the manifestation of holiness by accident than on purpose. That's loaded. That's loaded. In other words, I'm not waking up in the morning. What can I do today? Not sure I don't offend God. Oh, God. What can I do today to, to be holy? How, how can I live right? How can I be sacred? No! I'm enjoying the liberty of the Holy Spirit 
given by God through his love and his grace. And as a result of that, on a day-by-day-by-day basis, I'm finding myself more conformed to the image of Christ than I ever did by any effort. Effortlessly. Effortlessly. If you understand this message tonight, you see your life will take a different turn. No. We are not to perform. We are not to get on a hamster like a, like, 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 like a hamster on a treadmill trying to be something. No, you already are. You already are. And you need to tell yourself that every day. You need to say that to yourself all the time. What happened at Jesus' baptism? You guys know the story. Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. When he had been baptized... Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well placed. Isn't it amazing that the first thing Jesus had to know and receive in order to enter ministry was the affirmation as a son, his identity? Oh my God, you guys didn't hear what I said. You didn't hear what I said. Why did God have to make him go through that? Let me tell you why. Up to that moment, many people who knew Jesus, like the John the Baptist and others around that may have known him, ah, son of a carpenter, they had put a label on him that was not his identity. They had defined him based on natural terms, the son of Mary. Uh, the brother of James, uh, 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 a carpenter. They gave him all these labels. And God said, I'll take you through a baptism. Why? I want to bury those labels. Because we needed to, those labels needed to be buried so he can come out in the newness of his new identity. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well placed. Mind you, he had not done jack. He didn't get that title or that declaration because of something he performed. No. God just made the declaration. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well placed. But don't, don't miss this. Immediately, the devil heard that. Ah, we need to test this. And I'm saying this to you tonight, and I really want you to hear this. Just as Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden on the basis of their identity, and just as we are about to read how Jesus is tempted on the basis of his identity, you and I are being tested on it every day. Yeah, that's it. That's the only test. Because in Matthew chapter 4, in verse 3, the Bible says, Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the son of God. He didn't say if you are a rabbi. If you are the, no. The enemy came straight for the jugular. If you are the son of God. He just heard it. The devil just heard God announce it. But peradventure, Jesus heard it and didn't believe it. The devil wants to eat it right away. If you are the son of God. Command that these stones become bread. Did you hear that? Perform. Do something to confirm you are the son of God. Young people, you don't need only believing. Uh-huh. 
If you believe we are meant to be together, then take the journey and make the commitment when the time is right. No, no performance. But the enemy said to Jesus, command that these stones become bread. And that's where many of us are. We are people pleasers. We are addicted to people approval. And so we start doing things to get the approval of people so they can affirm us when in fact the only affirmation you need is divine from your father in heaven. And he's saying to you tonight, you are holy. You are set apart. You are righteous. You are perfected. You are loved. You are without blame. You are, you are, you are righteous. And you are accepted in the beloved. You are already accepted. Don't do crazy things just to, 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 to win the acceptance of people that don't count. That's why people join gangs. They want to be accepted. So they join gang and, uh, you know, do all kinds of crazy things because they want the acceptance of the gang. Acceptance that they think they can't get anywhere else. No. God has accepted you just as you are. Recognize that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's only one version of you. Be the best version of you available. And see what God is going to do with you. So the enemy came, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now you think the devil will take that notice and run away. No. He keeps on trying. Then the devil took him up to, into the holy city. Set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, again, again, the same temptation. Now, now why is this important? That you, you read and see this. It is important because the devil has not changed his, his tactics. Same, same tactic. Test number one, if you are the son of God. Test number two, if you are the son of God. Same test. Same test. How does this, how does this come to you and I today? It may not come as if you are the son of God, if you are the daughter of God, no. If you come and say, ah, you were angry with your wife yesterday, you must not be righteous any longer. Do you see what I'm saying? It brings condemnation. It brings guilt. Oh, you had an argument with your boyfriend. You had an argument with your friend. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. So it accuses you of certain things. Things that actually did happen. Now, it brings facts. But twisted. Perverted. And if you don't know who you are and what God has set in motion, you will think that those facts you must remedy in order to be right with God. Yeah. Yes, you can have arguments. You can have disagreements. You can be angry with your brother or your sister, but that does not remove any one ounce of who you are. Ah, you guys did hear me. It does not change your identity. It doesn't. Oh, you say, oh, you are sick. If you're a child of God, you will never be sick. Really? If I have a headache now, does that remove who I am? Do I need to go get a new passport in a new name because I'm sick? <laughs> you know, when we just think about these things a little bit, we see how crazy it sounds. But those are the kind of things the enemy will throw at us. So, identity matters because if you don't know who you are, the enemy is going to send you the wrong goods. So, there are two ways to perceive our Christian identity. Number one, through performance-based syndrome. This is the notion that our identity is derived through our efforts, abilities, or behavior. You see this in Luke 18, 18. The Bible says, and a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit the eternal life? You see that? 
what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Performance. Jesus, okay, what, what shall I do? What can I do to become born again? That's what he's asking. Now, when you read John 3, 16, it's so clear, so clear, but somehow tradition and religiosity will not help us, will not let us understand what the scripture, we, we read into the scripture what's not there. For God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever doeth, is that what it says? And him shall not perish. But have eternal That's clearly the issue is believing. But for some reason, it, that's too simple. We, we need to remove that and add things. You must do this. You must ten things you must do to go to heaven. Fifteen and a half things you must do for God to be pleased with you. We make it up. And they sound so good. And what's, what's, what's so bad is we, 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 have, we have scriptures for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I believe it. And when you read verse 17, it's even, it's, even, it's even more scary. Because it tells you that people that are condemned, they are condemned already not because they didn't do certain things, but because they chose not to believe. But that's too simple. We must make it complicated. We must find a way to make it uh, like Pythagoras' theory. <laughs> Add some Greek and Hebrew to it and just say, okay, now this, this is what you must do. And then say, ah, yeah, now nah, this, 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 this must be correct. No. True identity, on the, on the other hand, is not based on performance, but something that's bestowed. The truth is that our Christian identity is based solely on what God has done for us and to us as well as his acceptance of us as his righteous, righteous children based solely on the finished work of Christ. You see that in John chapter 1 verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Pastor Nee, this is so simple. It's, just, it's, it's almost annoying when we see what we preach at. It's us. It's our fault. The, what we've added into scriptures. He made them children of God based on believing on him. Now, I, I'm careful to say something here because I don't want, I don't want you guys to misunderstand. I don't know how much time I'm going to have with you on Friday and I don't want you to misunderstand. In, 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 in everything, just John 3, 16, John 1, 12, did anybody see anything about sin mentioned there? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall stop sinning shall have eternal life. Is that what it says? Wow. I'm sorry, I don't want to create a problem for you. <laughs> because we have to, you may have to clean this up about a month after I'm gone. <laughs> By no means... Am I saying sin is right? God hates sin. And sin will destroy you. Okay? And I'm going to address some things tonight about that that will, that will help you. But I'm just saying to us how religion has twisted God's word that the entire church is now into sin management. Rather than align the Holy Spirit who has been sent 
who the Bible says expressly works in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. We won't let him do it. We'll let him do it. So again, sin is bad. Don't do it. There are serious consequences. Serious consequences. <laughs> but the reason sin is so bad, I'm going to address it in a minute. It's not for the reasons we think it is. It's not. Okay. I've given you three things. Know who you are. Know who God says you are. Know that you're set apart. Know why identity matters. Number four, know the identity thieves. Know the identity thieves. In other words, the means through the enemy steal our identity. In the United States now, I don't know about here, identity theft is big business. It's a billion dollar business to protect your identity. A while back, I was traveling and I got a phone call from my office in Atlanta. Somebody had used my credit card to purchase musical instruments in Paris to the tune of 70,000 US dollars. True story. Seventy thousand American Express US dollars. They bought it. They called me from. I said, Pastor, are you in Paris? I said, No, I'm not in Paris. <laughs> they bought it in the same Paris. Seventy k, seventy thousand. Yeah. Of course, it, it was proven very quickly that it was not me. Somebody had stolen my identity and used that to make that purchase. And American Express took the loss. I didn't have to pay a penny. They changed my card and I kept on moving. U.S. is a, it's a funny place. Whoever did that, God away with it for, for good. They never cut them. Never cut them. But I'm making the point about identity theft. There are things that the enemy will throw at you for the express purpose of stealing your identity. Not so they can use, not so that he can use your identity for something, but so you will be deprived of using your identity. Do you understand what I just said? Yes, the first one is doubt. Doubt. It will make you doubt who you are. He told Eve and Adam, surely, if you eat of this fruit, you surely be like God. And you, you know good and evil. So, causing them to doubt who God had made them to be. Doubt. I won't spend too much of that on that one. Second one, fear. Fear. Oh, it's a terrible robber. Judges chapter 6, verse 11 through 14. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terrible tree which was in opera, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. Verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, where then has all this happened to us? And where are all these miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring you out of Egypt? Now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord, the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours. You shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Why was Gideon threshing weed? 
in the in the wine press. He was afraid of Midianites. And even so, now notice this. Notice this about, about what God does with me and you. Notice that this guy was in fear. Hiding what he was doing from the Midianites. And yet, in his place of fear, God came to him. God did not say because he was a fearful man or woman, I will not touch him. I will not use him. I will not bless him. No! Fear may keep you from God, but it cannot keep God from you. can't keep God from you. God is bigger than that. Adam sinned. We saw it. He sinned powerfully, powerfully. And out of shame and guilt and fear, he was hiding from God. What happened? God went and found him. God went and found him. He was running from God, but God was running after him. I don't know where you are tonight. You can run, but you cannot hide. Whatever fear is causing you not to be able to honor your commitment to God, not to be able to allow you to enjoy the presence of God, I'm saying to you tonight, in Jesus' name, God has taken that fear away from you. Amen. Gideon was afraid. And in his fear, God went right where he is. He said, mighty man of valor. Ah. I mean, almost like, God, do you understand what I'm doing here? I'm trembling. <laughs> my, my, my knees are buckling. You are calling him mighty man of valor. A mighty man of valor is a brave man. He's a courageous man. God is saying to him, you are the opposite of what, what you, oh my God. In other words, God would not define you by your present condition. He defines you by what is present in you that you cannot even see. Mighty man of valor. He doesn't say, God, are you missing this? If I'm your mighty man of valor, what happened to all the miracles? All the things we heard, we're not seeing anything again. Why? God just totally ignored all of those complaints. Go and save Israel. Go in this might of yours. Have I not sent you? That's God's conclusion. He's not going to argue with you and debate with you. Remember the woman, the man, the, uh, the pool of Bethesda in John chapter 6? Jesus came there to. Would I be made whole? Ah, Jesus, you don't know my story. Ah, you know how long I've been here? For 30 something years. And every time I try, there's nobody, never anybody around to help me. Nobody ever wants to help me. He told Jesus a story, long one. Did Jesus listen to him? No. Rise up and take a bite and walk. End of story. End of story. So doubt was, was, is sent to steal your identity, fear to say, and the biggie. I said, I'll tell you, tell you about it. Sin. 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 In Luke chapter 15, we see the younger brother presumed he was out of favor with God because he knew that God hates sin. You read Luke 15, right? The story of the man that had two sons. And the younger one took his inheritance, went and squandered it on harlots and vouchers living. And he was in want, in famine, Situation was desperate. He said, I would rather go to my father. In the worst case scenario, he can make me like a servant in his house. Okay? Why did he presume that he would be a servant instead of a son? He knew he had sinned. And he, like many of us, presumed that sin robs our identity. 
So he said, I'm going to go to my father. I'm going to say, Father, I'm not worthy to be a son any longer. I know I've blown it. I've squandered your money. I've disgraced you. Loss of reputation. Okay, I know, I know. Just make me a servant. Who told him that? Religion. 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 But look at what God says. In Isaiah 54, mm, 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 verses 9 and 10. For this is the lack of waters of Noah to me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah will no longer cover the earth, so have I sworn that I will not be angry with you nor rebuke you. Let me just stop. Let me take a pause. I'm reading from Isaiah, from Isaiah 54. You know what Isaiah 54 follows? Isaiah 53. <laughs> no, this is serious. What happened in Isaiah 53? Isaiah 53 is the gospel passage of the book of Isaiah. That's where he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The price for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. That's the gospel. And in the very next chapter, God assures Israel. For this is like the waters of Noah to me. For I have sworn. Can God swear and take it back? Is God like me and you? God is not a man that should lie. Neither the son of man that should repent. That the waters of Noah will no longer cover the earth. So I have sworn that I will not be angry with you, nor rebuke you. Now, so if somebody told you God is angry with you, it's a lie. Oh my goodness. Are you guys hearing what I'm saying to you? Yes, sir. If someone says to you that God is angry at you, it's a lie. Why is he not angry? Because everything you did in your past, everything you're doing now, everything you're going to do in your future, he wrapped it up like a package and put it on his son Jesus. So the wrath that was due you was already upon Jesus. And God will not have double jeopardy. So is this not supposed to make you go out and do something crazy? No! This should make you appreciate how much God loves you. And in the appreciation of his love, you don't want to do anything to offend it. No. You don't ever want to hurt your one that loves you. I will not be angry with you nor rebuke you. For the mountains shall depart. Oh my God. And the hills be removed. But my kindness shall not depart from you nor shall my covenant of peace be removed says the Lord who has mercy on you oh give God a shot someone now indeed God hates sin absolutely and sin has consequence. Yeah. I said it. I'm saying it again. If you don't believe it, go and ask David. <laughs> a man after God's own heart. Yeah. The pain. The agony. Yeah. 
that he went through as a result of sin. Bad business. Don't play with it. But he hates sin for a different reason than we, we think. He does. Oh, God. Pastor Roderick, I don't know why I'm, I'm here tonight. I'm so sorry. Where did sin start? You, see, you think your sin is the first sin that ever happened? No, no seriously. I, I, mind you, I'm not promoting sin tonight. I'm trying to expand your thinking. Where did sin originate? Heaven. You see that? Everybody, it talks like holy hush. Heaven! Lucifer! You ever heard of the person named Lucifer? Isaiah 28, Ezekiel 14. Go read it. God defined Lucifer how beautiful he was until iniquity was found in him. Where was he found? In heaven. Why did Jesus have to take his blood to heaven? To cleanse it. If, oh God. Anyway, okay, let me leave that alone. Pastor Roderick, you have work to do. <laughs> no, but seriously. God hates sin. Let me tell you why he hates sin. Two reasons. Two reasons. Number one. Sin distorts the image of God. Sin distorts the image of God. Isaiah 52 verse 14. Just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was mad more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. In other words, you and I are created in God's image. When we begin to take on sin, sin now will not allow people to see the God in us. So the image of God we carry is mad. And that offends God. Because the DNA, the image that God has created and put on us, when sin comes, sin now disfigures that image. Sin will not allow people to see that God in you. Because they are seeing the behavior from you that totally, completely contradicts who God is. That's the number one reason. It must disfigures the image of God. Number two, and this is very important. God hates sin because of what sin does to those he loves. What did the Bible say in Romans 6.23? The wages of sin is death. Which parent will see their child dying and start clapping? Ah, you are dying. Hey, praise God. You are dying. Just die quickly, quickly. Oh, every parent. You don't want to see your child die. And God knows what sin does to humanity. Sin works gradual, sure death. The moment Adam sinned, God said, the day you eat the fruit, you die. Now, of course, he didn't die. That, that, they, but that death was working in him gradually over time. And so that, that's what happens. So God is saying, oh my goodness, if you know what sin does, you, you won't touch it. I hate it because it's killing you. And I love you too much to see you die. Those are the reasons. Those are the reasons. Those are the reasons. Ah. And lastly, for sin, for identity theft, 
wrong mindset. Wrong mindset. That's what the Bible says. We should cast down every imagination. And every high thing that exerts its knowledge itself against the knowledge of God. To bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. When you have the wrong mindset, it robs you of identity. You say things like, ah, my father was broke. Uh, my grandparents were broke. Therefore, I probably live broke. You've bought into the wrong mindset. Even though you are a new creation, you are still acting and believing carnal things. That's no longer true of you. You have to align your mind with the word of, word of God. You have to align your, your mind with the word of God. Amen. Shall I stop now? No. Because, no, seriously. Because I don't, want, I don't want you guys to be here forever. Very quickly. How now to be established in your true identity? How to be established in your true identity. You get to know you're struggling with being holy, being without blame. You're struggling with being loved. You're struggling with being accepted. You're struggling with being forgiven. Today you think you're forgiven. Tomorrow you think you're not forgiven. Have you ever been through that? Like a yo-yo? I'm in, I'm out. I'm in and out. You forgive me. No, it's not forgiving me. You forgive me. Oh, I had a car accident. It must be because I'm not forgiven. Oh, no. All kinds of crazy things happen. Am I righteous? I'm not righteous. What shall I do to be righteous? See? So how to be established in your identity in Christ? Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. Simply, he said three things. Put off the old man, be renewed in your mind, and put on the new man. Put off the new and put on. Say, put off. Put off. Be renewed. And put on. Simple. Simple. We are told to put off the old man. How do we do that? Think of a prisoner who's been released from a car prison. But for some reason, he chooses to continue to wear his old prison clothes. <laughs> now, will the warden come to his house to take off the clothes for him? He's already released. Just like Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. Who unwrapped him? Did Jesus unwrap him? No. He said, you lose him. So there's an element of human responsibility. So put off meaning, okay, I'm born again. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now there are certain things that's happening in my life that I'm noticing certain patterns. Come on. I'm noticing certain patterns. Some things are not working. Don't fool yourself. Don't lie to yourself. Don't be in denial. Acknowledge that those things are happening. Acknowledge that they're happening. Now it's up to you to put off when you see those things happening, bad thoughts, lost, whatever it is, whatever those things are, you arrest it, put it off, and say, no, this is not me. Not me. Not 
The Holy Ghost is not going to say it for you. You have to open your mouth and make that declaration. You put off. You put off. Hey, no, this is not going to happen to me. No, this is not happening. No, this is because why is it not happening? Because Jesus has delivered me from this. You put off. And then you renew your mind. How do you renew your mind? You go to the word of God. What's God's solution for this situation? And you begin to speak that scripture to yourself. Speak that scripture to yourself. Renew your mind. To renew the mind is like re renovation. Okay? You put on the new mindset. And then, out of the renewal of your mind, God will give you a revelation. The revelation is like a spoken word. Some rema concerning the thing you're dealing with that you now put on. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a, it's, it's a, it's a quick three-step process. You put off by resisting and making certain declarations. No, this is not going to happen to me. No, it's not happening. No, not, not, not on my watch. It's not going to happen. Then you renew your mind. And then you put on whatever God puts on you for that matter. If the enemy is saying to you, for instance, you are not righteous. Oh, you cannot be righteous, bank, because you know uh, you, you said something very nasty to your friend the other day. And, and, the, and the thought keeps on coming back to you over and over. You're not righteous. You're not righteous. Well, you can allow the enemy to keep on flying over your head. And if you don't arrest it, build a nest in your head, you're finished. Or, like Abraham, you can get out of here. You can say, no, that's not true. I cast down every imagination and every thought that's against the word of the knowledge of God. You speak it out. You put off. And you renew your mind. How? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not because I did it, not because I did this, because Jesus did it to me. He confirmed righteousness. I have imputed righteousness. I am righteous. Yeah. You say it long enough. You see how your behavior line up with your confession. That's what happens. This is a daily thing. Daily thing. Daily thing. Okay? Now, quickly and lastly, five minutes, know what happens when you embrace your true identity. What happens when you come to the place where you've embraced your true identity? Number one, you are confident. You have a swagger around you. You walk with a swagger. You are no longer insecure and comparing yourself with others. You are confident. You don't hear about your friend's promotion or your, or your friend's uh, uh, blessing and get jealous and insecure. No. You are confident that the God that blessed them is also able to bless you in due season. You're confident. Confident. Number two, you can connect. You no longer have to wear a mask. You can enter relationships intimately. No more mask covering. Like, like what we see today in social media. Social media is, is a good tool, but it's terrible when it comes to authenticity. People hide. They hide between what they text. They hide it between messaging. You don't really know who you're dealing with. You don't know who you're dealing with. And that's because people are so insecure. And they cannot connect apart from that too. They can't look at the person face to face and say, man, 
man, let's go have a good time. They, they, they can't really relate. So they do it through a tool. Now, the tool, I'm not saying the tool is bad. It's how we use it. Okay? But when you really know your identity, you can be confident, you can be connected, and lastly, you can be creative. You can be creative. You're no longer copying others, but you are the best version of yourself. And that's my prayer for you tonight. That you be so confident of the grace that God has deposited in your lives that you are able to connect and have authentic, intimate, not surface, but deep level relationships among yourselves. And as a result, being able to release that creative juice of God that is within you so that you are the best version of yourself ever to live in this city. And so, Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for every man and every woman under the sound of my voice that they will never, ever doubt again their true spiritual identity. That they come to a place of recognition and revelation of their sainthood in you. That they are loved without condition. That they are without blame in this world. Accepted in your beloved forgiven of their trespasses sealed by the power of your spirit and made righteous by the precious blood of Jesus God I pray that you etch these things in their heart that they will never ever forget it and that the revelation of what it means will come alive in them in the name of Jesus that they put off the old man the carnal wills of doing things and the carnal ways of believing and renew their mind in and through your word in the name of Jesus and thereby stepping forth into their generation to display the glory of who Jesus is as a chosen generation, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, a special treasure, showing forth the praises of him who has called them out of darkness into your marvelous light. I call them blessed tonight. I call them prospering tonight. I call them making progress tonight. God, in the name of Jesus, that they are unstoppable, but that will be shot forth as arrows into their generations to reach this city and nation and nations beyond for your goodness and your glory. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. We bless and we honor you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you were blessed by this message. For more information, please visit our social media websites on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook at Family Alive Ministry. Please subscribe, follow, like, and share. God bless you and have a great week.